Church family, we're going to start a series today called Led by Presence. This is going to be a, a seven-week journey, if you will, of really discovering the presence of God, discovering God's desire for us to be filled and led by his presence in our life. And, and we're discovering how the presence of God is absolutely vital to our spiritual life. Vital to us personally, but not just to us as individual believers. The presence of God is vital to the life of the church, right? So what do I mean by vital? By vital, I mean this. We can't live without it. We cannot live. Oh, we can exist without the presence of God, but we cannot be spiritually alive without the presence of God. Think about what's vital in your life. What, what is something you consider vital, right? Water, air, food, shelter, light, rest. Netflix. You know what I mean? This stuff matters. <laughs> we, for some of those things, you can go a little while. But if you try to live your life without those things, it's not just harmful, it's fatal. Right? And what, what we're going to discover this morning is the presence of God is absolutely vital to our spiritual life and to the life of our church. And without it, we don't survive. And God's word has made clear for us all throughout that this um, pursuing the presence of God and understanding the presence of God and, uh, and drawing near and being filled with and being led by his presence is absolutely worth discovering. I want you to hear a few things that God's word says about it. In Psalm 16, verse 11, we use this verse all the time. It tells us that the presence of God is what gives us the fullness of joy. That's what it says. In um, Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, it teaches us that the presence of God gives us rest. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27, it tells us that the presence of God softens our heart and moves us toward obedience. I love that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that it is the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives us freedom. That verse says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is there's freedom, right? Some of you need to go read uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17, the word, it's amazing. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the presence of God is, there is freedom. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, my favorite verse in the whole Bible, tells us that the presence of the Holy Spirit gives us hope and gives us joy. And then in Acts 1, verse 8, we see that the coming of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, gives us the power of God in our lives to live on mission. What's the point? God really does desire to be with us. He really does desire to be what fills us. He really does desire that his presence would be what leads us and empowers us because, listen, the Christian life, the born-again believer, the, the life in Christ is a life meant not to be led by fear or frustration or, or failure, but rather, rather, life in Christ is meant to be defined by power supernatural power, power that enables us to walk in the, in the love of God. It enables us to walk in the freedom of God. It enables us to walk in victory and in courage as we live on mission for God. But the path into that power-filled life is the presence of God. That is the way in which we engage the, the life-giving power of God 
is through the life-giving presence of God. And so that's what we're going to discover through this series. And today, as we kind of begin this journey, I want us to take kind of a a larger view, a higher view, kind of get up to the 60,000-foot view of the story of God's presence with his people. So I want you to grab your Bible, and I want you to go all the way to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And as you do that, I just want to remind you that this morning, we're going to see that from the very beginning, I mean from the very beginning, God's intention for us was to be a people who live in his presence and who are led by his presence. We are made for this. We are made for this. You know, I think it's important that we start at the beginning. How many of you have ever walked into a room and they were already halfway into the movie when you got there, right? Super frustrating. You don't know what's going on. You don't know the characters. You don't know who's who. You don't know the plot line or the storyline, who's good, who's bad, what's going on. You know nothing, right? Now, if you've already started the movie, here's what you know. You're in there. You see it. There's one of two people that walk in in the middle. Here's, you're going to get one of two people. One of them is the, hey, can you guys just start that over so I know what's going on? And that person deserves a throat punch. I'm just going to tell you that right now. We ain't starting this movie over. We're halfway into this bad boy, all right? Here's the other person, equally as frustrating. Hey, could you guys just hit pause and tell me everything that's going on right now, right? I want you to know something. I married the, hey, can you hit pause and tell me everything that's going on person? That's who I married. She'll, she'll be in here at 11, so I'll change my illustration, but it works right now. <laughs> it works right now, right? That's who I married. When I'm sitting down and Carrie comes in and sits beside me and I'm halfway into something, if I hear this question, she'll say, hey, can I ask you a quick question? <sighs> Click. Hit pause, yes, what can I do? Let me tell you everything that's going on in every character and every line and get you caught up to this moment, right? But the point is, it's important to start from the beginning and and in that way, we're gonna start at the beginning discovering this story because without knowing the fuller story of God, without knowing the fuller story of God's plan and his work from the beginning, we can't really understand our place in the story. I think so many believers see where they are in their walk with Jesus in this isolated box of here's where I am right now, and we lose where we are in the grand narrative of what God is doing. And here's the truth. The Bible is one massive story unfolding this grand narrative of God with his people. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is one massive story unfolding the grand narrative of God with his people. And listen, we are a part of that narrative. We are a part of that story. And so this morning, we're going to begin to understand and, and see this story of God with his people in four parts. So this is what we're going to see. We're going to see it through the creation through the fall, through redemption, and through restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Now, these are not unfamiliar terms to you. Most of us know these things. We know that God created the earth, right? Man fell. Jesus is redeeming, and we will ultimately be restored. And I don't want you to allow the familiarity of these terms or of those, uh, those moments and those blocks of the narrative 
to cause you to go, well, I got it. Rather, I want us to lean into this this morning and allow God to use this to show us God's desire to be with us right now and forever. We were made for the presence of God. So let's just jump right in. Here's the first point. God created us for his presence. It is why we were made. In the creation narrative, you see that God created a garden called what? Eden, right? It was a perfect place. It was a, it was a beautiful place. There was no fault in it. it was, there was nothing out of place in that garden. Everything was perfect and it was full of life. And he took Adam and Eve and he placed them into this garden. But listen, the Garden of Eden was more than just a home for Adam and Eve. It was, it was more than that. It was more than just a place of beauty and a place with fertile soil. It was more than that. This was the place where God dwelled on earth. That's what this was, right? Genesis 13 calls Eden the garden of the Lord. This was, this was his dwelling place. God himself was there. In the Garden of Eden, God walked among his people in perfect unity and in perfect presence with them. Man, think about it. We don't know that. We've not experienced that, right? But that's what the garden was created for. It was created for God to dwell there in perfect unity and in perfect presence with his people. And from, and from before the creation of man... You see God's presence. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But listen to this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Even before there was anything, there was God's presence the Spirit of God was there. You see God's presence in the creation of man. It says that we were made in his image. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, look at this. It says that God, this blows my mind, he literally breathed his presence into Adam. Look at Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Two things that just boggle my mind. One, it says the Lord God formed the man from the dust uh, from the ground. Do you know that in all of creation, man is the only thing that wasn't spoken into existence? Everything else was spoken into existence, but when it came to creating his, recreating his image in us, there was that presence, there was that nearness. He personally formed us with his hand, and it said that God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and the man became a living creature. This idea of the breath of life is more than God simply giving Adam the oxygen that he needed to survive. It's more than that, right? This is the life-giving presence of God. This is the breath of the Lord being breathed. This is God's presence being given to Adam. And then in uh, Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, Then that the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden. What's the point? We were created for relationship, for nearness. God created this place for his dwelling. 
He created man to come and dwell with him there, and then he put man there so that he might experience his presence and be led by his presence. We were created to be led by the presence of God. And listen, that's why that, the presence of God is the place where we find our created purpose. It's where we find our meaning in this life, and it is the major theme of the story of humanity. The major theme of the story of humanity, beginning to end, is that we would be in the presence of God. That's the theme of our story. How do you know? Well, let's fast forward to the end, all right? We started in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, fast forward to the end of your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We're going to look at the very end of the story. So in the first two chapters of the Bible, we see this picture of the garden, this picture of Eden and the dwelling place of God with humanity, that we were created for his presence. And now in the last two chapters of the Bible, we see that God will restore us to his presence. I want to read two spots here in Revelation. I'm going to read some from 21 and some from 22. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That word prepared means created, made ready, right? Restored. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Presence. He will dwell with him and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you see the restoration? You see, you see these, these bookends. Look at the very next chapter, Revelation chapter 22, again, verse 1 through 5. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is a separate deal, but it just stuck out to me. In the first garden, there was a tree of life, right? But what was the command? Don't touch it, don't eat of it, it's off limits. But now in the restoration, in Revelation 22, we see the tree of life, but what's its purpose now? For the healing of the nations. This is full restoration. In verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, presence, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The story of Scripture begins and ends with the presence of God. And it is incredibly important that we don't miss this. 
It begins with God's dwelling place on earth with humanity, finding our life and our being in his presence as his people. And listen, the story ends with God's dwelling place on earth with humanity, finding our life and our being in his presence as his people. We were created for this and we will be restored to this once again. That is the very heartbeat of Christianity. Christianity is not about escaping hell. That's a, that's a blessed benefit. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Christianity is not about what you're missing. It's what you're gaining. It's not about escaping hell. It's about eternity with God. We were made for that. And we will be restored to that. And, and I want you to hear me. This is not a secondary issue in our journey. This is a primary issue and the main point of the entire story of God. However, between this first garden and the last garden of Revelation 21 and 22, something happened, right? Something went wrong. Sin entered into the world and we were separated from the presence of God. Sin separated us from his presence. Look, go back to Genesis chapter 3. Don't you love this? Just grab the middle of your Bible and flop it this way. We're, we're Genesis, Revelation, back to Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In that moment right there, in that moment when the fall occurred, spiritual death occurred right there, right in those two verses which means that the spiritual life that was given to Adam and Eve died right then. And that perfect fellowship and that perfect presence that they had enjoyed with God was ended. How do you know that? Well, look at the very next verse. Look at what happens right after they disobey in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So let me ask you something. How did they know that the sound that was walking was God? Because up until this moment, it was their favorite sound. Up until that moment, they loved the sound of God walking in the garden. They desired that sound. They longed for it. They got to experience it in fullness. It was a sound they loved. It was a sound that they enjoyed because they were in perfect presence with God. But this time, it's different. This time, they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And it says, and the man and his wife hid themselves from what? The presence of the Lord. If you want to know the most tragic, devastating consequence of sin, it's that. The presence that once 
brought them such good joy and gladness and fulfillment. Now they are running and hiding from it. It says, they went and hid among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? That moment right there, that moment of disobedience, uh, that moved them from being innocent. By the way, they were, they were innocent. They were unclothed, but they were unashamed. That moved them from being innocent to being self-conscious and desperate and afraid because their sin had broken that relationship with God. And instead of enjoying his presence, which was their created purpose, and instead of running toward God, they ran away from him. Does that sound familiar to anybody in this room? Instead of running toward God, we flee when there's sin in our life. Adam and Eve's first instinct was now to hide from him. Fear had replaced fellowship. Rebellion had replaced uh, surrender and submission. Hiding from God replaced delighting in God. And being dead to him had replaced finding life in him. This is why we do not play with sin. That is what sin does. That is why it is so devastating. Sin always, every time, separates us from God. Sin always, every time, moves us away from God. It always diminishes our experience of God's presence and it always hinders and disrupts and undermines the mission of God being lived out in our life. This is why Isaiah 59 verse two says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God, would you awaken in us a desperation to stop playing with sin and start killing it? This is why it's so devastating. You see what happened. But listen, the longing of every human heart is to be with God. From the moment they enter this world, there is a longing for the presence of God, whether they know it or not. There's a longing to experience his presence and be led by him. But listen, what led to the fall of Adam and Eve was that they decided to lead themselves. And from that moment, they led themselves right out of the presence of God. And friends, we've been doing that every day since. My story is marked by the moments where I led myself, those being the moments where I led myself out of the presence of God. I don't have one where Matt was doing the leading and I got closer. No, I don't have one. But my life is filled with me leading me out of his presence. 
And now, rather than life in God's presence, walking with him, being led by him, we have this brokenness, we have this emptiness, we have this God-sized hole in the heart of humanity. And listen, that hole, that longing, it's not just for our life to get better, it's not even just for heaven, it's a longing for the presence of God. And this is why we make idols. This is why we raise up idols in our life. There's this longing that we have and we fill it with lesser things. We fill it with money and we think that's the thing. We fill it with success or our job or notoriety or popularity or power or position. We fill it with sex. We fill it with drugs. We fill it with ourselves. We make idols of our children. We make idols of everything in this attempt to fill the longing of the human heart for the presence of God. That longing, by the way, is where every false religion is born. Right there. Every false religion is born in this longing for the presence of God. And listen to me, on their best day, in their highest, fullest experience, the idols we make are nothing more than a pebble against the mountain of God's presence. One of them is a puddle and the other is the ocean. And too many powerless Christians and spiritless churches are playing in puddles. But God has invited us into the ocean. Are you playing in the puddle? Or are you in the ocean of God's presence? Sin in your life will take you out of the ocean and will make you think the puddle is all there is. But one is a pebble. The other is the mountain. Anybody else play King of the Mountain when you were a kid, right? You found any little hill. Of course, out here in Texas, there's not any mountains, so just any little, any little mound of dirt would do where somebody could stand on top of a hill. I considered myself somewhat... I was a good king. I was a generous king, Richard. You know, I ruled with uh, grace and mercy on my subjects, but I ruled that mountain. That was mine. That little hill belonged to me, right? And so... When you're a kiddo standing on top of a little hill playing king of the mountain, you really do feel like you're on the mountain. But this summer, Carrie and I went to Colorado, and we drove up into Rocky Mountain National Park, and we got about uh, 11,500 feet above the ocean, which I'm not sure any human should be that far up. And um, then I noticed there was these long stairs that went several hundred feet higher, some 500 feet higher. And so we walked up these stairs, and when we got to the top, we were legitimately on a mountain at 12,000 feet above sea level. And suddenly, the little boy on a hill seemed very small, very tiny, right? What are the things that you're substituting for the presence of God? Oh, this is worth, this is worth searching your heart over. This is worth really God's word says to examine yourself. This is worth that effort, that labor of looking in. Where are the idols in your life? What are the things you are using to compensate for not having the fullness of the presence of God? I don't want to play in a puddle, and I don't want a church that's happy in the puddle. I want the ocean of God's presence.
Amen? So what do we do? If our created purpose is to be with God, and it is, and sin has separated us from him, that we no longer have this presence, and it has, what do we do? Well, here's the beauty. The rest of the Bible, <laughs> the rest of the Bible between Genesis and Revelation is the story of God's work to redeem us and reconcile us back into his presence. The rest of the Bible is God moving us from the fall to the restoration. That, that, that's what the rest of the Bible is, and that takes us to our last point, and it is this. Through redemption, we are reconciled into his presence. Through redemption, we are reconciled into his presence. Through the cross, Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has reconciled us to God. Remember what sin did? right? Sin separated us from God. It diminishes um, our experience of God and his presence in our life. It undermines the mission of God. But in the cross, Christ has remade all that sin has broken. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Look at this. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But I was an enemy of God. Yeah, but if you are in Christ, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, ought to make everybody shout. And through him, we also have obtained access. We've been granted permission. The door has been opened. The way has been made. And where we were irrevocably, irrevocably broken, we are now perfectly restored Amen. in Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In order to redeem our story, God wrote himself into the story. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Romans 5 says that through Christ we have been justified. Well, what does that churchy word mean? It means this. You were guilty and now have been declared innocent. Where sin says you are guilty, the cross says you are guiltless. Justified means I know that it, I am guilty, but I am declared innocent because the price for my guilt has been paid. Justice has been served. We are justified by faith in Jesus. And through that faith, we are granted access into the presence of God. Which means this. There is no means by which you experience God's presence outside of relationship with Jesus. That God-sized hole in your life will never be filled, no matter how hard you work and how happy the things that you stick in there are, they will never, it will never be filled until it is filled with the person of Jesus. He grants the access because he made the way. I think one of the most beautiful pictures that we see 
of this idea of Jesus reconciling us happened the moment that Jesus died. The moment that he said it is finished and, and died. If you remember that moment, he said it is finished, he died, he gave up his spirit, and it says the ground began to shake and rocks started to split in half and the sky went dark. And while those things are crazy and cool, Here's what actually happened next. With no person standing there, it said that in the moment of his death, I want you to think about the temple. Remember the temple? Right? The temple was the place where God dwelled among his people. But even in the temple, they were separated from his presence. Even in, remember, there was the outer court and the inner court, and then there was what on the inside? There was the Holy of Holies, and nobody got to go in there. One time, once a year, one priest got to go into the Holy of Holies, but the people never went into that place, and it was surrounded by this great veil, this great curtain that kept the people out of God's presence. But Matthew 27 says the moment that Jesus died, that veil was torn in two, and the signifying moment was we now have access back into the presence of God. Don't miss the veil being torn in two. That's the way being made. That's Romans 5.2. That's access being granted. And that is the point of Christianity. The point is not trying to be a good person and not avoiding hell, and it's not even going to heaven. The point is God's presence now and forever. We were made for this. We were saved for this. But there are too many of us that are living without this. There are too many people living without this. I think there are people that come in and out of church every week who have not really given their heart to Jesus and they know it because they live without the power of God's presence in their life. They have no desire to, to live on mission. They have no desire to walk in. They, oh, they try to be a good person. But if your life is marked with no desire to do the things God has called us to do that require supernatural power to do them, then my question is, have you been born again? Have you been born? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? This is the story. Genesis to Revelation. God created you for presence. He wants to save you for his presence. Are you living in the story? Have you been reconciled to God? The simplest way I can ask this question is, has Jesus changed your life? And right now, I know there are some of you in this room and you're answering that question with, well, I don't know. I, I thought he had. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saved. Is eternity worth staking on an I don't know? Or is the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to the reality that you don't belong to Jesus, but he is calling you today into relationship? You were created for his presence. Those of you who do belong to Jesus, you've been saved for his presence. So my question to you is this. What are the things that you are substituting for the presence of God? Our Sunday morning gatherings, 
are not about checking a box. They are about drawing into God's presence. Our Wednesday nights when we come and pray, they are about drawing into God's presence. Are you walking in the fullness of the presence of God? That power to walk in freedom, that power to walk in the love of God, courage and victory. I didn't ask if you were doing it perfectly. So for some of us this morning, we need to step out. We need to come take one of our ministers by the hand. And we need to say, I need to come to faith in Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus today. Some of you may just need to come to the altar and just lay down some things. This is, Lord, I've been substituting success for your presence. I've been, I've been nibbling on the things the world says are going to make me happy and feel satisfied. But I don't have your presence and I, I want to let these things go so I can have the fullness of the presence of God. So maybe it's just a time of repentance for you this morning. So I'm invite you to stand up with me. And as you stand, we're going to pray. We're going to worship. And I'm asking you, step out in courage. Be courageous and come to Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, you are the God who saves. You are the Lord God of heaven and earth. And I'm asking, Father, that you would, um, that you would move in our hearts today. We give you this moment. Help us be obedient in Jesus' name.